0: Good morning everyone. Good to see everybody here. Thanks for being here to to uh, worship the Lord with us. If you're new with us, we've been going through a book of the Bible called Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. And this book Acts was written in the 1st century AD uh, by a physician named Luke. And as an eyewitness, Luke recorded for us how Christianity quickly spread throughout uh, the Roman Empire, basically, after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and ascension into heaven. And, and what we read in this book of Acts is that one of the main guys who was passionate about telling everybody that they could have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ was this man named Paul. And ironically, a few years earlier, Paul was one of the leading persecutors of Christians. Uh, He, uh, before his conversion, used to arrest Christians and have them murdered because of their faith. But one day, uh, Jesus appeared in his resurrected body to Paul and told Paul to stop persecuting the church. And in an instant, Paul's life was turned upside down, and he saw with his own eyes that Jesus really did rise from the dead, and, and he believed Jesus is God. And for the rest of Paul's life, he would travel everywhere that he could and tell everybody about Jesus. And here in Acts 16, where we're at today, Paul is now on his second mission trip. Uh, the, The two men who are traveling with him are named Silas, who was a godly man from Jerusalem, and now Timothy, who was a young Christian man who, uh, who was half Jewish and half Greek. We talked about that last week. And the purpose of the second mission trip that they're on is, is twofold. First of all, Paul wants to return to the churches that he would already started and encourage them, because these were in highly persecuted cities. And um, when he does that, and he returns to these churches, the churches are excited to see him, the churches are strengthened and encouraged by his words and by his company, and many more people trust in the gospel because of his preaching there. Well, the second purpose of the trip, then, is to go preach the gospel in places where there weren't any Christians yet. And so, now that he's, he's visited these established churches, he's trying to discern, where do we go next? What do you want for us, God? Where do you want us to go next? Where are you leading us? And maybe you're here today, and you're trying to answer that same question in your life. God, what are you, what are you doing in my life? Where are you leading me? What do you want for me? And, and if that's you, then I encourage you to pay close attention today. And if that's not you, pay close attention today. Um, and so if you got your Bible, though, let's, uh, let's read through uh, the passage here in a minute. You can open up to Acts Uh, Chapter 16, verse 6. Let's uh, let's ask the Lord to bless us as we open his word. Lord, we need your help now as as we open your word of truth. And we we do thank you for the privilege it is to be able to read your word in our language, to be able to gather here, God, today as your people. And... um, just to be in your presence, Lord. And Holy Spirit, we need your help. We ask that you would uh, move in power in our hearts and minds. Make us into your image, Lord. Um, for those, God, who, who, who are unsure about you and unsure about Jesus, we just pray that you would open their eyes to see the glory that is in you, Jesus Christ. Um, and... We just thank you for your love and your, compare and your, uh, your, your compassion on us, God, and um, the care that you show us and your, your forbearing with us and your faithfulness to us. And uh, we just need spiritual food, God. We, we, you, are, you are intimately involved in the details of our lives. You know what's going on circumstantially in our lives. And whether we're in a high place or a low place, just meet us here, please, and feed us. Please protect us from evil, and we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. So follow along as I read through Acts sixteen six to twelve, and uh, and there's a lot of places here, kind of weird names, but we'll go back through it. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on, to, go on into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, so Luke meticulously included lots of historical locations here that probably don't mean much to most of us. But um, let's look at the map to see uh, what he's talking about here, okay? Um, So first, I put up here a modern-day map, just so we can see uh, where we're at. You can see Africa to the south and and uh, Europe, and and Asia, and so everything we're talking about, all these places are right here in modern-day Turkey, and and Greece, so Turkey is mostly in Asia, and then it uh, transitions over here into Greece, which is Europe, and so this would be the first time that Paul crosses into Europe with the gospel, and um, Let's zoom in. I have another map because I want to now see what this looks like, uh, what this looked like 2,000 years ago, okay? So Paul and his Timothy are are heading westward, and we we assume that the last church they visited, uh, because they've gone back now on this path and they visited these churches, it was this last church here in Pisidian Antioch. And from there, verse 6 says that they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, Okay? So they went through this area, and for some reason that only God knows, the Holy Spirit forbade them from speaking the gospel in Asia at this time, okay? which was this, this westernmost part of Turkey. It wasn't, it's uh, more, you know, probably it's more commonly known as Asia Minor. It's not the continent of Asia. It was a, a different place. And uh, we know this, though, the Holy Spirit did not like permanently forbid them from going to Asia because on this same trip, as you can see, they're going to go around and they're going to come back to Ephesus. And so for some reason in God's wisdom and sovereign timing, he had a plan and he said, I don't want you to go to Asia yet. And so what that meant for them, just real practically, is they're on this path and they're right here and there's, they can't go south. And so they're not going to go... They're coming from the east they're not going to go backwards they can't go south and so they're like well let's go north then and so that's what they do and then uh, verse 7 says that they came to this region of Mysia up here in the north and they say well the Bithynia is up here let's let's go north and see if uh, we could preach the gospel there and what we read there is that the Holy Spirit did not allow them to go to Bithynia and so the what's the only option they can't go east they can't go north they can't go south so they said, let's just keep going west. And they crossed, it says, the north part of uh, Magia, and they ended up here all the way at the port city of Troas. And it was here at Troas uh, that uh, Paul got this vision from a man who was from Macedonia. And the man said, please, come over here. We need your help. And so Paul talked to the guys about it, and they said, yeah, this is God. Let's, let's go over there uh, to Europe now. and uh, And so... I just love the little historical thing it says they got so they go over to this it says the next thing they did is they sailed to this little island here called Samothrace and it's this cool island like look it up on Wikipedia it's this cool little island that juts up out of the sea 5,000 feet so it looks like a volcano and they stayed there the night and then they uh, sailed over here they had really good winds because it uh, they made good time and they sailed to the port city of Neapolis and from Neapolis, it says uh, they went on to Philippi, which was kind of the capital. It was, it was the main city in Macedonia uh, where uh, there would be a lot of people to hear the gospel. And it's, Paul says that they remained there a number of days. And it's here in Philippi where... A lot of the action's gonna take place now, and God does some amazing things there, and if you're familiar with the book of Philippians, it was to this church in Philippi that Paul planted that he would later write these, that letter to, which he loved. He loved that church. And so what we see here is that when Paul and Silas and Timothy, you know, they were in it, sitting in Antioch, and basically they're like, okay, we knew God's, it was real clear we need to go encourage the churches this far, but what is, what's the rest of the journey gonna look like? They didn't know. And uh, what they had basically is they said, well, we don't know where we're going, but we have our priorities set. We want to, uh, wherever God leads us, we want to we love and obey Jesus. We want to love each other. And we want to preach the gospel and make disciples of Jesus. And many of us can relate to that in some degree. Um, you know, many of us, want to love God, we want to obey Jesus' commands, we want to love one another, but, but how does God want that to look more specifically in our lives? Where, you know, where does God want me to live, though? Where, what does God want me to do for work? Who does God want me to be friends with? Who, who is God telling me to go reach out to and, and speak the gospel to in my life? Um, which things in my life should I say yes to? Which things in my life should I say no to? Well, one of the the clearest commands that Jesus gave to us regarding these things is found in Matthew 6, 33 to 34. And Jesus said this, he said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So there's a connection here, you see, between us looking out into the darkness of our future and trying to discern God's will and then also feeling anxious. And Jesus says that instead of allowing our worries to drive our minds and to drive the decisions we make, he says, don't worry. And and don't make decisions out of fear. Instead, Jesus tells us, he tells us here what to focus our minds on, and he tells us what the most important thing is for each of us to pursue. He says, the most important thing for you to pursue is me and my kingdom. First, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's your priority. So the most important priority that that means for us is, is to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, By doing life together with God's people in God's kingdom, advancing his kingdom on earth, and seeking his righteousness and his glory. That's what he says. So, God wants you first to remember who you are, Christian. That you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You're here for a little while. And through faith in Christ, he has made you a child of God, whom he wants to be and whom he is shaping into, a person who is holy, And righteous, just like He is holy and righteous. Now, the only way, though, okay, so this is that was the command Jesus gave us: seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The only way we're going to want that, uh, the only way we're going to be able to do that and seek God's kingdom and His righteousness, um, for you to do that, you have to be born again through faith. What that means is trusting in. And entrusting yourself to Jesus alone trusting in and entrusting yourself to this righteousness God's righteousness that you already have in Jesus because he suffered for your sin and then he imputed to you his righteousness on the cross See, the only way you can seek God in His kingdom and thus discern God's will for your life is first by submitting yourself to God. First by trusting in Jesus to make you born again and to give you eternal life and a heart that desires God in His kingdom. And Jesus said that, that being anxious, um, allowing ourselves to entertain endless, scary, and worrisome thoughts about the future, allowing our hearts to be troubled, obsessively fretting over our lives, these things are not helpful to us. Uh, Instead, he, he says this, seek me, keep your eyes on me. Seek my righteousness, and then trust me with the rest of the details. Trust that I'm good, trust that I am your savior who loves you, trust that I'm in control, and trust that I will bring good even out of the most horrible sufferings in your life. Now, if you're like me, then then trusting the Lord with my circumstances and with my anxious thoughts uh, is often very hard to do. Uh, my mind doesn't shut off very easily. Inside my head, it's like I have this scrolling LED screen that's constantly, quickly moving, tempting me. Okay, here's more thoughts you can worry about. Here's more. It just keeps going, it keeps going. And uh, instead of latching onto those thoughts and being controlled by this LED screen in our heads, uh, we gotta learn first to recognize what, that we're doing that—that that, that, that we are actually we're worrying. Because a lot of times it happens, and we don't even know we're doing it. And when we become aware that we're worrying, about thoughts that are not God's thoughts, then God tells us what to do. He says, I want you to cast those anxieties on me because I care about you, right? Cast them, like you cast fishing nets or you cast your fishing line. That's the word, throw it out. Throw it out far from you and throw it onto God because he cares about you. And then we need to repent from that, right? We need to turn from our worry, and instead, what do we turn to? Okay, well, I'm not going to worry. What do I turn to? I turn to Jesus, and I make him the focus of my thoughts, and his righteousness the focus of, of my mind. And, um, and obviously, we desperately need God to give us the power to do this. And so what do we do about that? We pray, We pray, not because God can't do it unless we pray, but because prayer is one of the means God has ordained to unleash his power in our lives. And so he gives us the gift of prayer to have intimacy with him in our troubles, in our anxieties, and also um, to receive his grace in time of need. And so we need to pray individually and for one another and then what we need to do is we need to replace these thoughts uh, that are on the screen that keep coming. We have to change the LED board, okay? And what that means is you have to replace them with truth. You have to replace them with scripture. If you're not, in, if you're not reading the Bible, you're like a warrior out on the battlefield without any weapons. It's, you're going to get taken down. You need God's word, the gift of God's word, his truth, his promises in your, in your head. Um, and this is hard work to do this. This is hard work um, to think God's thoughts instead of thinking tempting thoughts, fearful thoughts, anxious thoughts. Uh, because why? Because the reality is we are in a battle. And we are fighting fear and anxiety. And that can be very tiring. Um, If we're following Jesus, this is reality. This is what scripture says. Satan is trying to paralyze us with fear and immobilize us so that we won't fight anymore and advance God's kingdom in our lives and on earth. And so scripture says, God says in his word, you need to use my weapons. Because my weapons are way more powerful than your weapons and the things you've tried. We've gotta fight fear about the future, about whatever we're going through, with the power of the Holy Spirit and the sword of the Spirit, which the Bible says is God's word. That's how we kill anxiety and fear and the lies that we're believing. So Jesus tells us, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything will be added to us. So in other words, that that the command is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The promise then is uh, you do that I'm I'm going to take care of you. All these things will be added to you. He will make sure that you have food, that you have money, that you have shelter, that you have the nurture that you need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's big picture, okay? Now, within that big picture of understanding uh, uh of, of seeking god and seeking his righteousness what does that look like now down more on a personal level well if, if you haven't this is what i would say if you have not at least read the new testament and the bible you need to do that this year you need to do it it's god's word and, it, and once you do that hop to the old testament and read that because this is reality. God has already given us many instructions and many promises in his word telling us how he wants us to live. So rereading God's word is is gonna help you understand what it means in a way more personal and practical level to seek God first, his kingdom, and his righteousness. See, God tells us these kind of things in his word. If you're asking these kind of questions, this is going to be real clear to you in the word already. God says, this is the kind of spouse I want you to look for. God says, this is why it's a wonderful thing to remain single. These are the types of friends I want you to have. This is how I want you to invest your money. This is how I want you to talk to people and interact with each other, one another. These are the things I want you to fill your mind with this is what you should do when you're tempted to do evil and this is what you should do when you do evil and this is how I want you to care for the poor and needy people around you all of those things God clearly says and more in the Bible okay but but discerning God's will gets even more specific than that right okay God but uh, am I supposed to pursue a romantic relationship with this specific person Uh, do you want me to take the job at this business or this business are you, are you calling me to move or to stay? And what should, what should I do about the people at work and at school who are giving me a hard time right now and I don't know how to move forward with them? What do you want me to do after high school? What do you want me to do when I retire? And God, which doctor do you want me to see? How God, God, how should I proceed medically in the situation I'm in? And God, which house is the right one for me? And, and which financial commitments can I responsibly make, and what are those financial commitments I cannot responsibly make? Well, all of these questions and much more uh, questions like these are, are much more specific, and as followers of Jesus, we want to answer them, again, with the intent of big picture, seeking the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. So <clears throat> when we face important questions like these, How do we proceed? That's exactly what Paul and his mission team were facing in this passage. Paul was seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He knows that that God called him to preach the gospel and to start churches. And now Paul wants to go where the Lord wants him to go. And notice what he does first. Paul starts by prayerfully moving forward. Moves He moves forward. He doesn't start in a place of paralyzing fear about the future. He's not begging God over and over which way to go. God is gracious and merciful and can certainly guide us when we do that. And when we're paralyzed in fear, he he can help us. But in this passage, that's not what Paul does. Paul puts his faith in Jesus and he moves forward one step at a time because he knows that uh, he, he is simply seeking to fulfill the mission that Jesus already gave him to do. And so he just keeps move, move, moving forward in faith and trusting that the Lord's gonna show him. And, and as he does that, Paul takes his mission team through these regions of Phrygia and Galatia. <clears throat> and the passage doesn't say that Paul wanted to go into Asia to preach the gospel, but it's possible he was considering that. And whether he looked into that and asked God in prayer about that, we don't know. But we do know that the Holy Spirit very clearly told him, do not speak the word in Asia yet. And the Holy Spirit may have revealed that to Paul and his team in any number of ways. Uh, It could have been through a prophet in Pisidian Antioch. Uh, It could have been through something that happened to them circumstantially. It could have been through a conversation, a divine conversation, you know, one of those God conversations, run-in conversations that you have with somebody. It could have, uh, it could have been through just the prayerful consensus of the mission team. It could have been through a direct message spoken to him from the Holy Spirit. We don't know. Um, however God's will was revealed to them, Paul and his team concluded that God didn't want them going south to Asia. And so maybe God wanted them going the other way. Up to Mysia and up to Bethania. Verse 7 says that they arrived in Mysia and they tried, they attempted to go into Bethania, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. And again, the Holy Spirit, who is the same, this this verse says, the Spirit of Jesus, it's the same Spirit. Uh, He may have revealed his will for them in any number of ways, but Paul metaphorically knocked on that door to Bethania and God did not open that door. God said, keep going. And so Paul and his team, they kept hiking right along that coast of Asia in the north until they could go no further. They stopped at the port city of Troas. That's as far as they could go, basically. And finally, when Paul was sleeping in Troas, he, he received clarity through this vision, which this Macedonian man was urging him, you got to come over here. We need your help. And it says then that he talked with his missionary companions about that and that they discerned that this dream was from God and that that's what they should do. They should go to Macedonia. Now, one little subtle detail you should see here in verse 11 and 12 is that the author of Acts, who's Luke, switches now from writing in the third person to the first person. So in other words, the the rest of the book of Acts no longer says only what he, she, they did, but now what we did. This is what we did. So what it implies is that it was at this point in Paul's missionary journey that Luke joined the team. And verse 11 says, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. So the text doesn't really give us many details about how and why Luke met up with them, but um, it was extremely helpful to have a fourth member of their mission team and who was a a physician, no less. Uh, In the letters that Paul would later write, he would occasionally refer to Luke by name, and he'd call him, he's my beloved physician. And uh, the missionary team, uh, we know, suffered a lot of physical and health issues, and Luke's presence with them was probably very encouraging to them. And so we look at, here in this passage, how Paul discerned God's direction for his life how can we responsibly apply uh, this passage to our lives? Because not every passage in Scripture is prescriptive. I mean, we look at this, this is how it happened, this is how we need to do it. Uh, it could just be descriptive, it could be describing, this is just what Paul did. Well, I think that uh, there's a little mix of both here, and that we can learn some good stuff from how Paul and his mission team sought God's will here. And let's just go in the order of the events that happened. First, before Paul could live a life honoring to Jesus, he had to submit to Jesus. He, uh, he needed to believe that he needed Jesus, and he needed to trust in Jesus, who, who would make him born again. So <clears throat> if you're here today, and if you're asking, what is God's will for my life? The first most basic and clear answer is God wants you to bring him eternal glory by enjoying friendship with him forever he is so gracious and good that he wants to pour on you the riches of his grace for eternity as you glorify his name that's very clear Um, all over scripture it says that we were created the reason God created us was to bring glory to his awesome name and that graciously we do that by enjoying him and enjoying friendship with him and enjoying his promises and his care forever so if you do not have a friendship with God through Jesus Christ God says you're not fulfilling God's desire for you and 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 subsequently you will never be truly satisfied Because that's what, it would be like designing a car, but never giving it gasoline. Just feeding it oil or whatever random stuff you would put in a car. It's like, you were made to run on gasoline. You were made to be filled with the spirit. You need need the Lord in your life. No matter how many friends you have, uh, no matter how much money you make, no matter how successful you are at your job, no matter how much sex you have, no matter how many drugs you do, no matter how great you think your life is, you are missing the target if you do not know your maker. And you will never be satisfied apart from knowing Jesus. This is how Isaiah 59, one to two, it says this about this, this chasm that's between us and our God. It says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So this chasm, this separation is a real problem and the the reason for it is our iniquities and our sins. So what that means is we need somebody to cross the chasm for us and bring us to God. You need a savior who will bring you back to God. And Jesus is the only Savior. <laughs> Jesus is that Savior because Jesus is God. Okay. When God the Son, Jesus, was hung on a cross outside Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago, he, what did he do with these iniquities and sins? He became your iniquities and sins that separate you from God and then he put those iniquities and sins to death in his own death so that you could now be reconciled with God so that the chasm would not be there anymore. You wouldn't be separated but that you would now be a friend of God and even adopted into his family as a child of God. So what this means is that God, God loves you he created you to bring him glory by enjoying his love and by sharing his love with others. So submit to the Lord today. Trust in this great news that God is for you in Jesus Christ. He's, <clears throat> this is what the word says, be saved by God from your sins and be baptized then as a, as a public celebration of your union with Christ, of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. See, you might, live, you might live a good life without Jesus. You might live a moral life without Jesus. That's very clear. There are many more moral people, uh, not more, but there are many moral people who are not Christians. Good people. But you cannot live eternity and eternal life without Jesus. Okay? And eternal life is not just about something that starts at the end of this life. It's not what eternal life is, and it's not just about the length of time that you live after this life. It's more the depth and quality and abundance of life, the type of life that only God can give. And Jesus says this. He gives a strong warning to us. If you reject this life, his life, if you reject his love and his salvation on earth, what are you rejecting? You're rejecting him. You're rejecting his glory and, and he says he will cast you into a place where you will never be with him, but you'll never be with him forever. It, it, he says I'll cast you into a place called hell after this life because you consider me unworthy of your honor and unworthy of your glory and unworthy of your joy. Turn to Jesus today. <laughs> Turn, he loves you and, uh, and be saved. And that's something that you can do. You don't need me to do it for you. That's something that you can do on your own, that you can, out loud or in the quiet of your own heart, pray to the Lord who knows your thoughts before you even think them, who knows the words on your tongue before you even say them. Say, God, forgive me for my sins. I need you to save me. (laughs) Please make me born again. I believe that you're God. If that's genuine, if you believe that, and Jesus says he makes you born again as you trust in him. That's first step now if in discerning God's will if you are a born-again Christian by the grace of God then the next step for you in discerning God's will for your life is then aligning your priorities with God's priorities what are the priorities of my life Jesus said this well here's right at the top of the list (laughs) what do you seek first his kingdom first priority uh, it's not it's uh, following Jesus knowing Jesus Jesus is not a spoke on the wheel of your life where you just have a lot of other things the church is just something else you do Jesus is the center of the wheel around which everything else revolves seek first the kingdom of God and he will take care of you so more than you love your wife if you're married love God and he teaches you in his word how to love your wife. More than you love your kids, love the Lord, and he teaches you in his word and by the spirit how to love your kids. More than you love your job, love God, and he teaches you in his word how to use whatever job you have for the glory of God. So yeah, (laughs) love your wife. Yes, of course love your kids. Yes, love your neighbors. Be thankful if you have a job you enjoy. But love Jesus more and first. If you love anything more than Jesus, which humans are, that's what we're prone to do, then what it means is that our ultimate hope and trust is in things other than Jesus. And that means that we create fake gods to worship instead of the true God, or in addition to the true God. It means we worship creation because we can see it rather than the creator, which we can't see and we're not living when Jesus lives, so we can't see him, okay? Yeah, we can love and enjoy God's creation, um, but this is the reality. Our, our wives, our husbands, our kids, our jobs, our belongings are not God and they cannot save us or give us true satisfaction. They can't. Um, the creation, what you see, is transient and cannot fully satisfy you. And we know this because it is going to all pass away someday, including us. And if our ultimate hope is in what we can see and in the things of this world, we're going to be ultimately devastated. We're going to be ultimately crushed. This does not mean that when you know, we lose Loved ones are something we don't cry, of course, of course. But the Bible says we we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because God is bigger than death. God is bigger than our spouse. God is bigger than our loved ones who pass away. And in Jesus Christ, we have victory over death. So... Our ultimate worship, our ultimate trust, our, our first priority, our first uh, source of satisfaction and hope are not even in our, the people that we love most in this world, but in God. They must be. Because he, think about this, he is the Lord Jesus who will never pass away. That's what makes him different. He's in his own category. He is whose word, uh, his word will never pass away. That's what He says, his promises will never pass away. His covenant that he made in his own blood will never pass away. We put our hope in that. So, so, so seek first, prioritize first, love first, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he will satisfy you, he says, and take care of you on earth and for eternity. Now, so after establishing that, born again, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. After putting these priorities in, in the right order and, and figuring out exactly, okay, what, you know we're not, we can't get into all the details, but if we just say big picture, that, that's the order we're talking about. Establishing these priorities establish the goal of our life, which is the glory of God and our joy in him. Next After that, you're you're ready to continue to seek God's will by knocking on doors of opportunity. That's what Paul's doing in this passage. He knocks on the door to Asia. He knocks on the door to Bithynia. He knocks on the door to Europe. And the way he knocked on these doors was not merely by praying, but by putting himself out there and by checking out these different opportunities. You know, sometimes... (coughs) when we're looking out into the future, which we can't see, (laughs) it's scary. It's like we're Moses. It's like we're with Moses on the beach of the Red Sea while the Egyptians are right behind us. And Moses and the Israelites, they're totally stuck. And they're calling out to God, show us the way forward, God, save us. And they could have sat on the beach. They could have prayed and prayed that prayer all day long. They could have waited and waited for God to show them the way. But listen to what God tells Moses and Israel in Exodus 14, 15, and 21. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. See, it wasn't until Moses advanced and stretched his hand out over the sea that the Lord revealed His will to him by driving the sea back and dividing the waters. And that's what Paul and his team—Paul uh, and his team had to do here. They had to keep advancing by prayerfully knocking on different doors of opportunity before the Lord would tell them where to go. So if we wanna know if God's opening certain doors of opportunity for us, we need to start by advancing toward those doors and knocking on them. And then after knocking on doors of opportunity, what are we trying to do next? Well, we're trying to seek the spirit of Jesus to see what he's telling us about those opportunities. And that that means praying to God, obviously, and asking him, um, for help and for wisdom and for clarity, uh, it means reading God's word, seeing what the Spirit tells us in His word. It means seeking the counsel of other spirit-filled, mature believers who love God's word and who are on, aligned with God's mission as we are. And that's what Paul did in Acts 16:10. You know, in this instance, when he had this vision, it wasn't crystal clear. Uh, to Paul, whether the vision he saw at night was really God speaking to him or it was just the result of the chili dog he ate at dinner, okay? And so what does he do? He consults with the brothers, Silas and Timothy, who also have the Holy Spirit in them. And together, God gives them a united consensus, yeah, proceed to Macedonia. Sometimes after we, we knock on a door and we listen to how God responds, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but he, he, he tells you real quickly, don't go that way. Other times when we're seeking his will and listening for his response, it could take a lot longer. But while we're waiting for a response, this is the thing we want to be careful not to be, we want to be careful not to be paralyzed and fear. We want to keep living on mission right now where he has us and not simply wait for a future day when he might reveal a more specific plan for us. I've read a number of good books about discerning God's will for your life. One good short book that I read is is by Pastor Kevin DeYoung and it's called Just Do Something. And a helpful takeaway I got from that book about seeking God's will was that God is not playing a game of hide and seek with you, trying to hide his will from you. Yeah, God will grow you through the process of waiting, through the process of discerning his will. But he's not playing this cruel game with you, trying to hide from you the one right path that he wants you to go on. The truth is that that God might present to us several good paths forward, which we can take and which will glorify him. And yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God is in control. And at the same time, he gives us different opportunities and he allows us to make choices about which path to take. And that brings us to the next step here in this discernment process, which is to walk through one of these God-glorifying doors of opportunity that God presents to us. Uh, And when you walk through that door, this is the thing. You don't need to cringe or live in fear that maybe I'm not following the one right path God has for me. Because there are many God-glorifying paths we can take. And whichever path we take, the important thing is what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust that God's going to take care of me. And after you go through a door and after you follow a certain path of opportunity, God in his grace allows and even orchestrates sometimes mid course corrections, which is great. And we see this all throughout Paul's ministry. Sometimes God has Paul go to a certain place just to talk to a few people about Jesus and then it turns out God doesn't want Paul to stay there very long, but to change course, I want you to go this way now. And so if you go through a certain door with the desire to honor God and and you prayerfully decide not to stay there because it's not the right fit for you, that's okay. And sometimes, this is reality, sometimes you don't find out if something is a right fit for you until you jump in and try it. Also, God might be leading you on a mid-course correction according to his wisdom, whether you want him to or not. And when that happens, that's a good time to remember God's word, his promise in Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. When I think about God leading us on mid-course corrections, uh, I think of our friends and missionaries uh, who we support in northern Africa since the sermon's recorded. I'll call them the Warrens. Um, several years ago, they discerned God calling them to uproot their family from Arlington, move to North Africa, move to this dangerous place, Chad. And they believed it was God's will for them to go to Chad and work in sports ministry, to do gospel ministry. That was the door that was open to them. And they stepped out in faith. They moved to Europe. They spent several years in language school. They got ready. They moved to Chad. And soon after getting there, the whole thing fell apart. The sports ministry opportunity fell through. And so this door that they thought was open to them now was closed. So now, now, what, now what are we gonna do, right? Right? I mean, uh, this, is, this is not America. This is a foreign land, okay? Um, we've given up everything to follow the Lord, to do gospel ministry and where he's called us here. We got to take care of our family. We got to provide. And now the door's shut? Well, it didn't take long for God to open up a different door for them and Chad. And very soon they were doing something different than they planned, and it was teaching English to Muslim students using the Bible. And so essentially, now still, they teach the Bible to Muslim students, sharing the gospel with them and pointing them to Jesus. This wasn't on the radar, and their students are trusting in the Lord and being saved. Isn't that awesome? That's what's happening. This was a God-orchestrated mid-course correction. And God was in control the whole time. So when, when we have mid-course corrections in our lives, uh, we shouldn't allow ourselves to be filled with fear or worry or shame or embarrassment, right? Because sometimes when we put ourselves out there and things don't go as planned, what does Satan want us to do? He, he wants us to think, man, you're stupid. You should not have done that. that was done. You should not have talked to that person, right? That's not how God talks to us. God uses us when and how he wants for his glory and and oftentimes how he does that won't make sense to us. Right now we can't see the big picture but he says keep trusting me and keep moving forward with the mission. You're on the right path. And and as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness in our lives, this is our prayer together. May, May the Lord help us not to be anxious or fearful of that LED screen in our heads, or of the, the dark future that we, we just can't see anything, it's hazy, but instead to do what he tells us to do, to cast our anxieties on him, to trust that he loves us, to trust that right now we are accepted by God and justified in Jesus Christ and that he will make our paths straight. Praise God for, for this mercy and compassion that he shows on us no matter what our circumstances are or where we're at. I'll end there. Uh, <clears throat> now, part of this journey of following Jesus and seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness, part of the journey, part of the, the sustenance that the Lord gives us is the Lord's Supper. And that's what we're going we're to do next. Because it's in the Supper that we remember Jesus is with us and for us. He's already proved it on the cross and we have everything that we need in him. So we, we take this the first Sunday of every month and, and uh, we've covered a lot of ground this morning and so this is what we're gonna do as the communion servers come forward. I just wanna have a few minutes of silent reflection. Maybe Dylan could play the guitar, um, but let's, let's pray to God in the quietness of our own minds. Um, if there's sin that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind, you need to confess to him and be forgiven of, please do that. And celebrate in your heart the forgiveness and love uh, that you have in Jesus Christ and that God is not against you, he's for you in Christ. Let's take a few minutes to do that. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in you, for the forgiveness and new life we have in you, for the righteousness that we have in you, and just for the friendship that we get to know you, and you, Jesus, have crossed the chasm for us and brought us to the Father. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.